Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? John, I am doing fantastic. How about yourself? You sound like you got a little bit of a cold or something. I think I've been sick uh, half of this winter, probably with a lot of America, but I feel pretty good today, so uh, I'm doing well. Good. Today is part two of our discussion on the atonement. Uh, Super excited about it. I had a lot of fun last week. We discussed um, two... um, two ways of understanding Christ's work of redemption that are very, very early in the church. They seem to be there actually from the very beginning. We see them in the earliest church fathers, um, and uh, honestly, we see them in the scripture as well. Uh, But we talked about two views that uh, to this day are emphasized in the East and have begun to be emphasized in the West once again, largely through the Second Vatican Council. And those two views are Christus Victor and Ransom Theory, which, Mark, you helped us see that um, they're not uh, like two separate views. They're more like two dimensions of seeing the atonement. Christus Victor is stressing Christ as the new Adam conquering uh, the three hostile powers that keep Adam's children in bondage, sin, death, and hell. And um, the ransom theory being Christ rescuing Mm -hmm. us from the power of Satan himself. And um, there's some different emphases within those, but you usually have them side by side, even within the same homilies by the early Christian bishops and priests. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, going back to when we look at atonement theories, we always ask the questions, what is, what is the problem? Because as you stated, in each case, there's a slightly different problem that's being dealt with. Mm-hmm. Either the powers of sin, death, and evil that hold us in tyranny, or the, the, uh, the, the ruling of Satan, all that has to be dealt with. Uh, who is God in each of these? You know, is God a doctor? Is he a parent? He's a redeemer. Mm-hmm. How does the incarnation function? So Jesus has to become fully man. He's fully God. He has to become fully man. How does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, he becomes us to fix us. He becomes us to deliver us. And then what are the results for humanity? So with all of these atonement, and you had mentioned it last week, you made a good point. We say theory, but not as if these are speculative or may or may, or may not be true. Mm-hmm. These are just aspects of that gospel that is a diamond that has many, many sides and so that what Jesus did fixes many problems and gives many different benefits for people. Correct. As we said last time, I've got more than one problem. Our <laughs> listeners have one with more, more than one problem. And praise be to God, Jesus is the answer for all of them. Amen. So today, we're going to continue with two views um, that we're more familiar with in the West. And Mark, I am really glad that you're more prepared than me. So, will you uh, help introduce the first view? Absolutely. Okay, uh, we're now at about 1050 or 1090 A.D., St. Anselm. Uh-huh. Uh, nice overview. We ask, what is the problem? Who is God? How does the, the incarnation function, or how does the cross function, and what's the benefit? Uh, Anselm saw the problem as uh, we owe God obedience, and... Our sin or our disobedience dishonors God. So it's a very shame-honor perspective. Uh And so we owe God a debt of honor. We're guilty because we failed to uh, pay that or to give him due honor because of our 
uh, disobedience. And so either honor is repaid or punishment should follow. Yep. So God's role in this, the metaphor, is that God is a landowner. Mm-hmm. He's motivated by wisdom and love. And humanity are the tenants who owe him a debt of honor. And, and you get this from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, forgive hmm. us our debts That's as true. we forgive our debtors. So we are indebted to God. This is very scriptural. Uh, you see God as a landowner in Leviticus 25. Jesus tells a parable about the landowner in Matthew 21 or 22, one of those. That's right. Uh, so it, it, it's fully a, a biblical metaphor. Mm-hmm. Anselm writes a book called Credeus Homo, meaning uh, why did God become man? It's actually mm-hmm. why God man, but why did God become man? And so how, the way the incarnation or the way the, the cross functions in Anselm's satisfaction theory is that, uh, number one, Jesus becomes us to pay our debt. Mm-hmm. He comes to do something that we can't do. And Anselm was very clear. Like the, One of the number one points he makes is Jesus was not punished for our sins. Uh, to punish an innocent man would be a grave injustice for Anselm. Yeah. So the reason it's satisfaction and not the, the, the punishment, Jesus doesn't receive the punishment or the wrath of God and, or whatever, it's because Jesus suffers willingly in order to be able to do for us what we cannot do, That's which, right. is, which is pay back this debt of honor, to honor God in a way that we couldn't. Yeah. So the death of Jesus releases humanity from sin and death by satisfaction because Jesus steps forward to willingly do for us what we can't. He pays the debt that we can't pay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so by that, uh, the satisfaction that uh, Ans- Ansel- Anselm says, the satisfaction or the honor that God is due is really more than, if you put all of humanity together, mm-hmm. we could not pay God the honor that he's due. Every human being, all together in one united God, we're going to try really hard. Yeah, that's why God Himself has to do this. Correct. So Jesus, one hundred percent fully God, one hundred percent fully human, uh, does this because we can't. And for Anselm, and this is uh, it's going to be a little bit different from Thomas. Uh, God simply can't just forgive. Uh, it, it's not yeah. like God said, "You know what? I know that uh, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, but I just forgive you." And that's because of in this metaphor of a landowner and uh, tenants, you just can't forgive somebody for not obeying. You can't just forgive somebody for not paying the debt of honor. Something uh, there does have to be satisfaction. Well, and if you do pay them, um, I mean, forgive them. Someone's got to pay the debt. Someone's got to restore the damage. Exactly. And so, just for the landowner, just to say I forgive you, there's still that outstanding debt that, that simply has to be paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jesus then, in doing this, he obtains a reward that he did not need. So because he pays the debt, he actually merits something for us. Yeah, He earns it for us. But because he doesn't need it, he's free then to give it. Mm-hmm. So humanity, what's, what's the results for humanity? The debt is paid. Relationship with God is restored. Uh, and we receive that which we didn't deserve and we couldn't earn because Jesus does us, does it for us. And so we now live for God in, in, in Anselm's thinking. Our response mm. is <clears throat> we live for God by dying to ourselves. So obe- mm. obedience to God then is, you know what, it's giving up my will. It's, it's doing what I'm required to do out of this, this satisfaction that restoration, our relationship has been restored 
and we're friends again and our debt has been paid and we're free now to obey. <clears throat> so that's basically uh, Anselm. Do you want to do Thomas next? I'd like to say just a little bit okay. about that real quickly. Um, uh, several things came to mind. Uh, for instance, you talk about the debt has to be repaid. Well, I think about uh, my poor boy, uh, Patrick, a couple weeks ago, puked all over my floor um, <laughs> twice. It was, it was a lot of cleanup. The point being, am I mad at my son for puking? No. Um, but somebody's got to clean it up. Right. And I think that's part of what we forget about with sin. Sin is not like mm -hmm. the red light said stop and I didn't stop. And no one caught me. So like nothing's different. Sin actually affects right. a change in reality, in our relationship to God, relationship to ourselves, relationship to other humans, even relationship to creation, uh, sin actually damages things. Man. So for instance, Christ says, don't eat of the fruit, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yeah. He doesn't say, don't eat it because I'll kill you. He says, don't eat it because you will die. So um, death, corruption, disease, um, every other instance of evil is the result of sin. Um, all that damage, all that mess, someone has to come in and clean it up. Um, and I think with Anselm's beam, it can come across as very feudalistic to people because he is using feudalistic well, and that, imagery. And that's the time he lived, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a kind of a biblical way of thinking about it that makes what Anselm's saying sound less tied to the outlook of his day and more tied to the outlook of Scripture, and he just is expressing this way. And this is the image. So we talked in one episode about how Christ is prophet, priest, and king. Well, St. Athanasius, in his masterful book on the Incarnation, he really stresses Christ's—I I think he's stressing Christ's prophetic and kingly ministry in the Atonement, mm -hmm. that by becoming human, by becoming incarnate, Christ reveals to us the life of God through human flesh, and that is actually part of the atonement, that through Christ's gift of himself on the cross, uh, he is revealing to us that God is love, and that changes us forever. Second, too, uh, Christ is like David. He's the warrior. He's come in to defeat Goliath, defeat Pharaoh, defeat all the tyrants, whether they be sin, death, hell, whatever. He's come to rescue us. I think that Anselm is really pulling from the priestly understanding of who Christ is, and the fact that we as humans were created to be priests. And to be a priest means to make a total offering of self to God. So you look at the entire Levitical system of sacrifices. I mean, think about the Psalms. Um, Psalm 40. Uh, it's bulls and rams you have desired not, but ears you have dug for me. Or Psalm 51. Uh, you delight not in the sacrifice. The sacrifice of God is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Um, the entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament is a really profound, complex reflection of the fact that to be a true priest is to offer ourselves. Um, and as you're saying, Mark, if we all make that total gift of ourselves, um, God desires us, but we've changed who we are through sin. And by Christ making that offering as a human, he now opens the door 
for us as human beings to be made priestly, to be made holy yeah. again, so that when we offer ourselves to God, it's not like, hey, this is the best I can do, here's a mm -hmm. shot, but our lives can actually be united to Christ's own priestly right. sacrifice. And as Catholics, this makes a lot of sense of the Eucharist as well. Mm. Um, one of the things that stood out to me from becoming an Anglican uh, to a Catholic is in the Anglican Church, I had an understanding that Christ was giving himself to me in the Eucharist, or what we profess to be the Eucharist. Um, but it's much more clear in uh, our Catholic devotion and even our liturgy that through the Eucharist, it is finally made possible that I would be able to give myself to God because I'm not just a dude waving my arms saying, okay, God, here's a white flag, I'm sorry, just as I am. But it's that Christ's priestly act actually becomes the gate through which my life can be given to. I don't know if that was too abstract, but no, it's good. Jesus's priestly offering, it, 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 it opens the door for humanity to finally become priests again. Mm. And I think that that is part of um, what Anselm is saying. And by the way, uh, Cur Deus Homo, a lot of people forget, it wasn't, it's not Thomas Aquinas who we're about to talk about. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote in the Summa Theologica, question, answer, question, answer. It's very like, um, he is, he's laying out systematic theology. A lot of Anselm's writings are actually written in the format of a prayer. Which means that um, Anselm is a little bit whimsical. So if I go to adoration and I speak to God about the atonement, I'm not trying to explain to the entire world the nuances and shades of meaning. I'm telling God, thank you. And Anselm himself has a very priestly character that most of his writings, um, like Augustine, they tend to be very God-oriented and people are listening in. Uh, which Maybe this is more than our listeners want to know about. St. Anselm. Sorry. Um, I'll stop myself there. So we can move on to Aquinas. Okay. Uh, but a thought on, you mentioned Psalm 40. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this in class a couple of weeks ago. And hmm. uh, <clears throat> all, none of the kids in the class knew that uh, you too had written a song about Psalm 40. It's one of the best songs they've ever recorded. It is. <laughs> I think they ended every concert in the 80s with it. They may it have. awesome. Yeah. And it was I had to I had to stop and you know play it for him because like you at least some of them knew who you two was but they had no idea that they, they had written a song on Psalm forty it's like oh you guys are so out of touch yep <laughs> thank you for catechizing them Mark <laughs> all right Saint Thomas and this is this is my favorite one mm -hmm. uh, out of all the ones we've talked about so far this is my favorite excellent uh, okay so what's the problem who is God how does Jesus how does the cross work, and then what's the uh, benefit for humanity? So Aquinas's understanding of the atonement is really it, it, it's it's full, it's thick, it's fully orbed. It's, it's not just dealing with one dimension. So the problem is past sins. Mm -hmm. So we we do have to get somehow we got to get our slate clean. We've got to be forgiven. We need a new start relative to the the transgressions that we've committed. Mm -hmm. But he's also concerned with future sins. So how mm. does how can Jesus fix us so that we can stay away from future sins as well? It's not just a cleansing of the past. Uh, make your account zero. God yeah. says some nice things about you. It's actually going to help fix future sins. Hmm. Uh, for Aquinas, sin was a stain on our soul. 
Yep. So it's this, it's almost like this cancerous, it's this, it's this thing we have to get out of our soul. Yep. Uh, so the, the debt of punishment for sin is death. So yes, going back to Genesis, uh, in the day you eat of it, you will die. So, so death was not necessarily uh, inflicted on us as a punishment by God. The text says the day you eat of it, you'll die. It, it's a consequence, self-inflicted consequence for our sin. So it's like we, the day I run into Interstate 90, I'm getting hit by a Mack truck. Yeah. My dad didn't want me to die. It's just a warning. Yeah. Don't do it, son. But if, or, and so it's not, if you run into Highway 93, I'm going to send a truck to run you over. Correct. Um, so we, we do have a death problem as well. Yep. And the offender is the, prob- is the problem, not the offended. And uh, this is really big for Thomas. It's not that God sits there and he's just so mad and so offended that he's got to find somebody to take out his anger on. Yeah. The problem- that is what Zeus needed to do. Is that what Zeus needed to do? I mean, that's a pagan yeah, conception yeah, yeah. of God. Yeah. The gods had a bad day. Odysseus, you're not going home today. <laughs> Someone's got to suffer. Somebody's got to pay yeah. for this. Um, and so the emphasis uh, is on what is God doing to fix us, the offender? Mm-hmm. And, and, the, the, and this is one of the parts I love the best, and he's going to get this from Philippians chapter 1, uh, uh, 2, 12, and 13. Our wills don't conform to God's will. We don't love what God loves. Mm-hmm. And so the reason we've gone astray is that our will, our passions, these things have been twisted. And uh, he, he, he kind of, he follows with, from Augustine's rightly ordered loves. Mm-hmm. And so what God wants to do is, is fix our will. He wants to fix our loves. He wants to reorient us mm-hmm. so that we can truly love him in return. Hmm. All right, so who is God? What role does God play in this? God is a loving parent who is trying to deal with disobedient children. Hmm. Okay, so you mentioned, you know, you're a father, what you do with disobedient children. But it's that God is not interested in punishing his children. He's interested in restoring them. Hmm. So not just restoring the relationship, but let's get you fixed up so that, you know, the next time you're roughhousing in the house, you've learned not to break the table like me and my brother used to do. And so it's... It's a, it's a yes, we got to deal with past sins, but we also have to find a way to fix you so that you don't do these things in the future. Mm-hmm. So what God wants, you, 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 and this is where he gets it from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. What God wants is that you would want what he wants. Mm. God's will is that you would will what he wills. Yeah. God would love if you love what he loves. And so the, the, the illustration I use in class is like... Uh, you know, I come home and, you know, maybe my wife and I are having people over for dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, I can go and begrudgingly help clean up and put the the apartment in order and get ready. Yeah. But she doesn't want that. She doesn't want me just to go through the motions and do the stuff that's necessary because we're having company. What yeah. does she want? What, what does your wife want? She, she wants, wants the you alignment to, of wills. <laughs> she wants you to, I want you to help me. I want yeah. you to be excited about this. And I want you, we, we all need to clean up, but I want you to want it. Yeah. And so that's what God is, is wanting to work on. So the incarnation, Jesus becomes us in order to fix us. It, it, it's a soul problem. It's a passions problem. It's mm-hmm. a, uh, our souls need to be healed. So uh, August, or Aquinas also uses the language of satisfaction. But mm-hmm. it's a little bit different from Anselm's. Mm-hmm. And what he means is uh, the condition of the offender has been fixed. 
Jesus offers himself willingly. So like Anselm, Jesus is not being punished. Yeah. He is willingly offering himself. And uh, Aquinas differs a little bit from Anselm in that the incarnation is, is necessary, and he discusses this word necessary. Uh, he says God actually could just forgive. He could just pardon. That's St. Athanasius' uh, perspective as well. Is it? Yeah, yeah, they're in total agreement here. Yeah, so God could, because he's not a landowner. He's just a parent that could say, eh, I forgive you. Yep. But the problem is that doesn't fix us. Correct. So simply granting forgiveness may deal with past sins, but it doesn't deal with the stain of our soul. Correct. So the reason the incarnation and the atonement is necessary is because what Jesus is doing is he's, he's taking on uh, <clears throat> sinful broken, fallen human nature that is that is corrupted and stained by sin, that's dying so that we can be healed. Justification mm-hmm. for Aquinas following Catholic tradition is justification is not simply, hey, you know, I'm going to impute righteousness I'm to you. pretend you're righteous. Yeah, I'm actually going to make you righteous. It's exactly. a healing of the soul. And you, you see this reflected in the, in the catechism in their section on justification. I mean, all the, all those paragraphs, it's basically, uh, it's Augustine and Aquinas just over and over and over again with their understanding of justification. Yep. So in other words, and, and he says, quote, there's no other way of healing our misery. Mm. So the, the atonement and the incarnation, or the incarnation and the atonement is necessary because what God wants to do is fix this corrupted, sinful, strain condition that we find ourselves in. So what's the benefit for humanity? Well, we are reconciled. The relationship has been restored. The parent, there's, there's harmony now in the relationship between the parent and the child. But death is destroyed. Mm. So what you, you talked about uh, being damaged, what sin damaged, mm-hmm. what sin destroyed has been restored. So we've been fixed. So we now have the ability by grace, by infused grace, uh, to love God with perfect love, our will, our obedience, our humility, all this is now imparted. Jesus' merits and justifying grace have been given to us. Um, we see God's love for us, and now we can strive to love God in return, in Romans 5.5, 5, Romans 5.8. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do accept, we do have to accept what Jesus did for us by faith. So, yeah, we have it, to. We, we still have to. It's still that's how it's appropriated. So yeah. I don't know if Luther gets it from Aquinas, but uh, but this is this is where uh, we've then received grace that helps us to overcome sin and future sin. So this is how, in Aquinas's understanding, what the cross does. It deals with past sins, but it also deals with future sins because our souls have been healed. We have been given a new grace that actually can align our wills with God's will. Mm-hmm. We're becoming the kind of people that will what God wills. We love what God loves. Uh, and so uh, through penance and repentance, this is, this is very important for Aquinas because those things are the, the practical things we do to get our wills aligned with God's will. So at the end of the day, what Aquinas wants is obedient children who have been transformed our souls have been healed. The stain of sin has been removed. The damage of, to our souls has been healed. And God now has obedient children who love what he loves, will what he wills, want what he wants, and walk with him in this harmonious, reconciled relationship by grace.
I love that one. That's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. In the last episode, I don't think I talked about the Greek word paradidomai. Did I? No. It's a fun word. And uh, uh, paradidomai means to be handed over. And this is how Christ uh, speaks of his passion and death before it happens over and over again in the Gospels. He tells uh, the Twelve, and they never get it until afterwards, but he says in very clear language, the Son of Man must be handed over into the hands of sinners, and he'll typically say chiefs, scribes, Pharisees, um, whatever, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. But we were talking before this about um, this podcast about how the wrath of God is to hand us over to what we've mm-hmm. been stubbornly pursuing. So, um, <clears throat> you know, in sin, we're always perceiving, I mean, we're always pursuing what we perceive as a good, but it's not going to be good for us because right. something is disordered mm-hmm. in our pursuit. This is why God doesn't want to sin because he doesn't want our destruction. Well, if we do not repent, we do not repent, we do not repent, God will eventually hand us over to our desires. Um I can't think of an example of this that isn't kind of gross. But um, God hands us over to our desires. And the hope in that is that like the prodigal son, we finally get what we want and realize, wow, this really stinks. My father never treated me like this way. And that we come back to him. Um, So God handing us over is the depiction throughout the Old Testament of the wrath of God. Israel, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like the other nations. We want to worship Bill. We want to worship... other gods we want to act like the act we don't want to have to keep the sabbath blah 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 blah. and god finally after 700 years of patience with him says great be assyrian be babylonian (laughs) and in 70 years get back to me on how that's going yeah and the comeback of your eyes wow that was awful yeah um and he does it for the 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 purging um other worlds but what is so interesting with thomas aquinas's point is that Christ is handed over into our sinful hands. Mm-hmm. We meet out the punishment at the influence of the devil. I mean, through sin, our wills become more and more aligned with the evil one. Yep. We begin to imitate um, the devil's desires rather than God's desires. And Christ is given into our hands. Christ is handed over to consequences that he didn't, are not the natural consequences of his desires. Um so it's just, I don't know how to put that more clearly, but yeah. there's an interesting reversal that happens. Well, and uh, to your point, like so, Thomas follows uh, Aristotle, and he says over and over again, uh, people, all things pursue the good, mm-hmm. but it's, it, they have to qualify that. I always put that in parenthesis for for the students. All people, all things pursue, in parenthesis, what they perceive to be the good. Correct. So people can perceive, everybody is going to move towards, be pulled towards what they perceive to be the good. Even the drug addict, that next fix, it it might be short term, it might be skewed thinking, but that is the best good that they can have right now. Mm -hmm. And so this this pursuit of everybody, all things pursue what they perceive to be the good. So it is so important in Aquinas' thinking that what God does is he works primarily on this internal world. What God wants is a group of people who, who do walk with him in holiness and purity and um, this harmonious relationship, but our sinful stain 
those pay and Aquinas talks a lot about our passions, our our wills, our desires. Where are they? Because he follows Augustine, and uh, I like to summarize it like this: uh, a person can uh, be pushed by their convictions, by their beliefs, by their ideas, but ultimately they will be pulled by what they love. And we see this over and over again. We know this is true because there's people in our lives or famous people or maybe religious people and they, they do something really ridiculous and they go off the rails or they, you mm-hmm. know. And, and what do we say? Oh my gosh, how could they have done that? They knew better. I mean, these are people who knew the Bible. They, yeah. they did know better. And they had, they believed better and they, were con- they had a, a greater convictions. But yet it was their loves that pulled us. Yep, And that's why it's so important, the disciplines, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation for St. Thomas, it's because those are the things that help uh, put the squeeze on our will, help God form our will Mm -hmm. and our passions that we might stay in line. And and it's just such a, you talk about our will today, and people want to talk about that. Well, your will, your emotions, your passions, it's just so screwed or skewed. You can't, you know, they're beyond fixing and Aquinas would say the exact opposite. It's like, no, those are the things God's focusing on. Of course, with our mind and our reason as, as yeah. well. But it's those deep things of the heart that have to be tweaked and realigned mm-hmm. so that we actually want what God wants and we love what God loves. That happens, and we're going to be fine. We'll, we'll walk with God in this harmonious relationship. Yeah. Very good. Um, Mark, when you were explaining Thomas Aquinas's view of the atonement, and uh, just to be honest, these are all so deep that we could go for hours more on all of them. Um, we're just not going to, but we could. But um, as you're going on about Thomas Aquinas's view, I thought of the um, well, you you mentioned these verses, but I thought it would be worth reading in context. This is Philippians two, twelve uh, and verse 13. five through. Oh, I'm going to start there because. It depicts Christ's action and then exactly the point you're making. It, the, the Apostle Paul says this, Have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, obedient as you have always been, not only when I am absent, but all the more now, not only when I am present, but all the more now when I am absent, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is the one who for his good purpose works in you both to desire and to work. Yep. Yeah, and his reading of that is not uh, God just kind of hijacks our will. It's just, it's all by sovereign grace. It's all by, you don't really have any part to do with this. God just sort of, your will died and God just sort of takes over. And the only reason you will and the only reason you can do something is because it's all God. 
And Thomas would say, well, no, there, there is grace. You can't do this without grace or the movement of the Spirit. But that, that's the point. Is you have a will. Yep. God works in us. He works on our will that we might will. He works on our ability. God's given us a grace that we cooperate with in order that we might be obedient. So yeah. it's the grace of God that transforms our will. It's the grace of God that enables us. And we cooperate that with that as our wills and our passions and our body, soul, spirit, mind, will, and emotion comes into line with God and we walk together. Mm-hmm. There's one more thing from this I would like to highlight real quickly as we run out of time. Um, Bishop Barron pulls out of Philippians to this passage as well as the Gospels that the Heavenly Father is so pleased with his son's humility and his son's love for humankind that death cannot hold Christ, not only because he is divine, um, but also too Christ has, he's paid the penalty, he has satisfied um, the demands of humanity's sin, alienation from God, he has conquered it, and through that, he is ascended into the right hand. And um, this is so deep. I almost feel guilty for bringing up things we can't talk about in detail. But when we speak about the atonement, and I believe we began the last episode of this, we are not only speaking about the cross. We are speaking about the cross um, at the center. Paul, St. Paul himself says, I preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. But the Christ who is crucified, who we proclaim, and we do proclaim the cross, he is incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and his entire life is an act of pleasing offering to the Father. Um, he is risen, having descended to the dead to liberate the dead, and he is ascended into heaven. So that the atonement is um, it's, it's the whole package. It's, right. it's Christ going the whole circuit. It's him, um, you know, this whole process is necessary because Adam was kicked out of paradise. And when Christ ascended into the heavens, that was the first time that um, someone appeared in human flesh before the yep. throne of God and then sat down on the throne of God yeah. because human flesh has now been um, forever um, assumed into Christ's own divine life. So the atonement's the whole package. And Man. we can go on and on. And these are four images, Christus Victor, Ransom, Satisfaction, and, and satisfaction. And satisfaction. Yeah. yeah, two different components of satisfaction. Um, and these are just great places to start as we reflect on um, Christ's work. I would like to recommend one blog post real quick. Uh, David Anders has a show on EWTN uh, called Called to Communion. I don't know if David Anders remembers me, but when I was a Protestant divinity school, I used to talk to him at, at the treadmill. Before he was on EWTN, wow. which is awesome. He might be a large reason I'm a Catholic today, actually. And before he had the show, he had a blog. This is really clever uh, marketing, Dr. Anders, called Call to Communion. And he is a former Reformed theologian, so like Presbyterian, Calvinistic. Uh, through his dissertation on John Calvin, he became a Roman Catholic, <laughs> sign of a smart man. And um, he compares and contrasts a Protestant view of the atonement, with a Catholic view of the atonement. And I, it is so clear and so good. Look up the show Called a Communion on EWTN. He talks about it all the time because Called a Communion is Protestants calling in with questions about the Catholic Church. So Christ's gift of himself comes up frequently. But uh, 
just Google search call to communion, go on the blog and read the article that's about the difference between a Protestant and Catholic understanding hmm. of the cross. Uh, it's really good. And I'll let the reader uh, decide which one is better news. And did he finish his dissertation with the original? Yeah, original way he wanted to write it. He's a doctorate. Yeah, I can't remember what his dissertation was on John Calvin. He's, I mean, you know, I went to a, a, a very reformational divinity school, and I was really impressed um, by his assessment of stuff. Uh, what made him Catholic, he'll say, is um, Martin Luther and John Calvin tore down the magisterium of the church. You know, Martin Luther famously says, I trust neither popes nor councils for they contradict. Um which is sad that Luther came to that conclusion. Um, it seems not to be Jesus's. But uh, Calvin, having taken that line, sets himself up as magisterium. Because what does he set up as the ultimate standard of truth? Scripture. Well, when there's a disagreement in Geneva between him and the other elders about the interpretation of Scripture, what has uncontested supremacy? John Calvin's right. interpretation of Scripture. So what has <clears throat> ultimate authority? John Calvin. And when... Dr. Anders realized that John Calvin <laughs> rejected 1,500 years of papal authority and bishops and priests and saints wrestling through sacred text to replace it with himself. Mm. Like, I just don't see any way of spinning this as a good or godly idea. So he became Catholic pretty quickly, and uh, the Catholic Church is blessed by the work he does. Amen. It is a good—I I listened to his radio program, so I would encourage you to do that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Is there anything you want to recommend, Mark? Uh, no, other than, you, by all means, <laughs> read read the Fathers, read Thomas, read St. Anselm. Uh, you keep recommending Athanasius uh, on the Incarnation, absolutely. The more we stay— with the historic church and actually read those who God used to build the foundation of the church, I think the better off we're going to be. Contemporary people are great. I have my contemporary authors that I really like Absolutely. and I enjoy. Um, we have to have people who are giving their voice in our time. That's right. But uh, I spend far more time in the patristics and in the early church. Yeah, that's great. And in Thomas. And the last word of advice I'd give is someone wants to understand um, the atonement, go to the Mass and watch it. Yeah. Because we believe that uh, so Hebrews says Christ presents this to the Father. He presents the entire work of redemption to the Father on our behalf. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And if you want to see that happening, go to Mass. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, and receive it. Amen. So that's all I have. Thank you very much, Mark. John, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure.